Shalom Aleichem, everyone, and I hope you guys have had a blessed holiday. Uh, those of you who may not know, yesterday was Purim, so I just wanted to go over some observations that I kind of had this past year as I was just celebrating with my wife, and we read the story of Esther and watched One Night with the King, and kind of was just really focusing on what the story of Esther really is and uh, understanding uh, how to read the story and how some of these things kind of played out that, you know, you cut sometimes when you're reading scripture, things you see at this point were things that you hadn't really pieced together in previous times of reading. So, if you don't know, Purim is the last of the winter feasts on the biblical calendar. Uh, it is the one that wraps up right before they reset with Passover in the spring, which we're getting ready to celebrate in a month or so. So, today is actually uh, Purim Sushan, which if you read the book of Esther, when they declared the Feast of Celebration, they actually extended it one more day there in the capital because of the provision of God had brought salvation so heavily that they continued to the fighting and continued the protection of themselves against the uh, attempt to destroy them and completely annihilate the entire Jewish people within the entire Persian Empire. So there's just some really interesting things. Uh, one consistent thing that you know really stuck out this year was just the constant back and forth of banquets. The entire uh, book of Esther, it's like every couple chapters you're in a banquet, you're in some kind of feast celebrating something. And that's not without intention of the author. In fact, the whole book is very uh, ironic in its role reversal. So, um, this is actually a study note because this year we picked up a different translation there, which is called the voice translation, which makes a very interesting reading because it's written almost in a script form. So, this one note about how the whole story of Esther starts out in this big, lavish banquet. Xerxes is preparing to march against Greece. This is prior to, if you're familiar with the graphic novel or movie 300, that's exactly what is going on here. He's preparing for that great attack to destroy and conquer Greece. So he has this the most lavish banquet that you've ever seen. Wine's flowing, no man wants for anything. He's just showing his power. And that was not uncommon in the ancient world. In fact, kings and generals, and especially in Persia particularly, enjoy throwing lavish feasts and banquets for honored guests. It is their best opportunity to show off their wealth and power. Occasions like this are used for impressing and intimidating foreign agents, making treaties and deals, and maintaining an illusion of greatness, making the powerless feel especially helpless, and even bullying would-be troublemakers. It is during these occasions that much of the business of the ruling is accomplished. So here he's making his effort to say, hey, here's how great we are, here's why we are going to conquer, getting all the other nations and people rallying behind them to say, hey, we are going to go out and conquer. In fact, at this time you go in 
to the next chapter, he's told it, we read about him wanting to call out Vashti, the queen of Persia, there, and his courts is coerced by his generals and everyone to have her come out and he and show off how beautiful she is. And there's a whole lot of commentary that goes in exactly what that would have meant for them. But plain put it bluntly, she said no, through a banquet in protest with other women, as you know, generally women weren't allowed to be a part of these banquets. And she's like, No, I'm not gonna be the only one parading around by a bunch of men. And so she throws a counter banquet. It's considered offensive in the sight of the Persians. They decide, oh, well, we can't have these women saying, oh, no, we're not going to do what you said. So we're going to completely remove her from the entire uh, kingdom. She's no longer going to be queen. She's just going to be thrown in with the harem, never even being able to be not only being able queen, and having to watch all these other women paraded through, she's gonna never even be summoned to the king's sight. So she's completely removed, and of course, Xerxes, once he sobers up, kind of is like, well, this was kind of a stupid thing to do. So his administrators say, well, let's uh, get you together. We'll get we'll get find you a new wife. You can who can watch uh, this and who can help you out. I need a and we just uh, we're gonna build you up here so they go out they find a bunch of women uh, just so happens a Hebrew girl by the name Hadassah also known as Esther is brought into the harem and she finds more pleasure in everyone she becomes queen and then she eventually will throw some counter banquets where she is requesting from Xerxes to save her people because Haman has risen to power he has decided that I'm going to annihilate all the Jews who annihilated my people and so there's this whole controversy here she throws these lavish banquets and then once you know he's shown as wanting to kill the people of the Queen because Xerxes signs whatever because he's so easily uh, manipulated throughout the whole story really kind of reading the book of Esther are like how is this guy one of the greatest emperors and conquerors of nations so he goes off and he allows them to sign a new bill and so then there's a new bill introduced that gives the Jews fighting ability they go out they destroy those who were going to come annihilate them in fact so many people, for fear of the rise of their power, start being being Jewish, start converting Judaism. They're like, okay, well, well, we're gonna go serve Yahweh now. Um, by Ishtar and all you other foreign god, all you other gods of our people, we're gonna go serve the one true God now. So there's this whole huge reversal right there, just within the banquets that are going on. Other. Things that were very interesting are the role reversal. We see starting in chapter three, Haman rising to power, and you know being able to get the king to give him his signet ring to go destroy the Jews and become the pretty much second in command. And we see this long 
uh, fight between him and Mordecai. He spent a lot of the book talks about him and Mordecai hating each other. Mordecai will not bow to him. His ego's bruised. He creates a 75-foot spike to impale Mordecai on. He ends up being impaled on it, and then Mordecai becomes uh, top dog, second in command of the kingdom, right there with Esther. And they go out and pretty much become the new true, the true salvation, or the new salvation of, for all the Jewish people. It's uh, I found it very interesting that this is always how we wrap up before we move into Passover, the Exodus story before. Uh, where we are focused on the people coming out of slavery, being given power of the divine nation, the kings and priests of God to all the world. So these are just some of my observations. I encourage you to pick up the book of Esther. It takes about, about 30, 20, 30 minute read through between my wife and I yesterday morning before I went to work there. So definitely take up see some make some other observations for yourself and also if you want to get more in depth of what Purim is and understanding there I'm also attaching another video that I did last year going in depth on the celebration of Purim and what the biblical feast actually means that you should check out so hope you guys have a blessed day and may God bless you and keep you may he make his face shine upon you and give you his perfect peace Shalom